Good morning. Y'all got me a little bit worried and as quiet as y'all were during worship. It's normally real quiet when we get up here to preach. And so when it's quiet in the worship, I'm like, oh no, here we go. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open to Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Read you a little passage of scripture here and then I'm going to tell you a little story. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was six, 60 cubits and its width was 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence, province of Babylon. Now, if you were here a few months back when I preached about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken captive by this king, Nebuchadnezzar, and how they were taken from their land, put into a land of exile, or a foreign land, if you will, and they were dropped off there, expected to survive and live only with the resources that they had been given and instilled with through their parents and through their godly influences that were back in Judah and Israel. But now they're in a land that's total anti-God. They're there to survive. All they have is each other, right? Now you know that if you'll study the scripture for yourself, the king, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the most powerful man in the world at that time. There was no rival to his kingdom. His kingdom was the greatest upon earth at that time. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. See, he wanted to conquer God's people. He wanted to bring them into bondage. He wanted them to worship him. Now, during this time when he was besieging Israel, God's people, he wasn't able to finish the task, so he brings Daniel some other of his friends with him, some of the people, some of God's people with him back to his country, back to his kingdom, in hopes that he could indoctrinate, flatter, bring prosperity to them, and have them ultimately worship him. See, now, you have to understand that King Nebuchadnezzar, there was somebody greater behind the scenes through King Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't just the man that was working all of this. It was the Satan himself working through King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants to conquer God's people. He wants to silence God's people. See, I believe that's why a lot of us are so quiet here because you know that the Bible tells us that the angels desire to look into our worship, that people see Jesus through us and how we worship him. So I ask that question because a lot of times when I come to church, I ask if I was an unbeliever, if I came in here, would I see Jesus? Would I see Jesus in you outside of this building on the everyday, in, in everyday life and in work and all of the things? Because we are representatives of him. Amen? That's how people see God through us because Jesus lives in us. And see, so Satan wants to conquer. They wants to silence that. He wants God's people to be in bondage, just like the rest of the world. And that was his plan here. Now, you know that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they faced 
some small challenges when they first came to this land. When they first were thrown in there to survive, they faced the challenge, they stood, and they were able to be victorious in it. But now, these young men were faced with the greatest challenge yet. The greatest challenge of their life. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was going to come up with this image he was going to create, and he was going to get them to bow down to it. See, his plan hadn't worked quite as like he thought it would. See, because there was a few who stood for truth in the small and little things, if you go and read history, historians will write that there was actually a greater number who gathered behind them, and there was a revolt towards King Nebuchadnezzar and what he was trying to do during this time period. And so during this time period, you have to understand that that the king, this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, his plan wasn't going the way he thought it would go to conquer God's people. It was harder than he thought it would be because there was people who were standing for truth, even if it was only a few. God, we need that today in the United States of America. Amen. Secondly, you have to understand that King Nebuchadnezzar received a dream back in chapter 2 from God. And in this dream, he saw this great image. And in this image, it had a head of gold, which represented King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But then there was kingdoms to come after him, which represented silver, gold, or bronze, and all these deals. And what would happen, if you'll read in this, is that God was revealing to King Nebuchadnezzar, no matter how great you think you are, one day you will bow to me. These kingdoms will be destroyed and there will be a kingdom that's set up that will never be destroyed. And that is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Well, this drove Nebuchadnezzar crazy. See, he doesn't want to be defeated. He doesn't even want to believe it. It's the same way with the devil today. He doesn't want to believe that he's already been defeated. So in great fury like King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to now, he says, if I can't win them over by prosperity... If I can't flatter them, if I can't indoctrinate God's people, okay, now what I want to do is I'm going to create an image. See, if I can't get them to directly worship me, maybe I can get them to worship the image that I create. Now, these men are about to have the challenge of a lifetime. If you know that this past Wednesday I was able to take some of the older youth boys out to my place for Wednesday night. And in this, I instead of just setting them down in a classroom, I wanted to challenge them because they're about to be out on their own. They're, they're already almost grown men and they're about to face some great challenges come. We know that the world is going to throw things at them and challenge them with their identity and all of these things that they're about to face. And so I wanted to put them to the test. I wanted to challenge them and see where they were. Not just tell them what they should and shouldn't do, but I wanted to put them to the test. So what I did was I gave them a survival challenge. And in this survival challenge... I talked to them about the three essentials of emergency survival. Things that you must have if you want to survive. That would be fire, shelter, and water. 
These things you can't live without or not for very long. And so I I went through all of the steps and the reasons why they must have these things and then laid out on a table. I had a few tools that would help aid them in being successful in creating fire, building a shelter, and boiling water so that they could have safe drinking water. And in this test, I put them in groups. So I divided them in two groups where they would be challenged to work together as a team because after all, all they would have would be a few items and themselves. They'll need the talents of the other ones, the skill and the knowledge of the other ones, and they would need to work together as a team if they want to be successful. And then I would give them a reward for the team who won and who was successful in the challenges. I gave them the three challenges. So they all went out. Now, you should have seen their faces. I'm going to throw them under the bus, but, boy, they were cocky. I mean, they ran out there, and they thought, we got this, no problem. I gave them the option of what tools they could use to be successful. They all chose, and then they go out to complete the task, and I only give them 30 minutes to do it. So you should have seen their faces as they run out to the woods. And I noticed something. The younger group, there was three in, in the younger group. And then there was two in the older group. What I noticed right off the bat was the younger group didn't communicate very well. They just kind of did their own thing. They ran out. They were real confident. This one started doing this. This one started doing that. They didn't communicate. They just started doing whatever they knew how to do. There was really no system to what they were doing, but they were getting some things done, and I actually seen some strength and weaknesses in each one of them. And in the older group, I learned that they were, they were communicating. They were working together on one project at a time. They would accomplish one and then go to the next, accomplish it and then go to the next. As the younger group, they just kind of was sporadic about going about it. And they were all working on their own. Well, you can imagine as the minutes start clocking away and they're not able to get the fire. Their shelters are falling apart. They ain't a bull in water because they have no fire. Their, their faces, the countenance on their face started to change. And now they're becoming discouraged, right? I'm throwing them under the bus. But it was, it was fun to watch. But I watched the older team be victorious over the younger team through their strategy, through their experience, what they had learned. They were successful in two of the challenges. They were able to build a shelter to keep them dry, and they were able to start fire with about three minutes left out of the 30. They wasn't able to boil the water because they didn't have enough time. But the other team, the younger team, they were successful in the first challenge, which was building a shelter, but they could never get the fire. They had the resources there. They just didn't know how to use the stuff correctly. So afterwards, I got down and struck the fire and showed them that it can be done. And one of them yelled, you mean to tell me it was that easy the whole time? And they're sweating and they can't get it started. But I give you this example and I I explained to them how they would face challenges in their life. And it would be crucial for their survival to know how to work together, what fellowship with other believers, how important it is. Also, knowing how to use the resources you've been given. See, we can have all the knowledge. We can go through the courses. We can read the books. We can listen to the sermons. But if we don't know how to use them for ourselves, they're useless. And even as Christian people, if we don't know how to use God's Word, if we don't know how to pray, we don't know how to use this in battle, then all of this stuff becomes useless and we'll ultimately find ourselves defeated 
Amen? Just like they did. And not being successful in the challenges. Now these young men, same way it correlates to these young men, they only had the resources they were giving prior to this time of land of exile. Now, because they had stood, because they had been successful in the little things, now they would be faced with greater challenges in life because, listen, it doesn't stop with just the little, the little sins and the little temptations. It doesn't stop when you're a teenager. Matter of fact, the more you follow God and the older you get, it seems like the harder it is. Now you don't even have the energy to do it like you did when you were young. Amen? And so... It's a great challenge for us to live holy and set apart as God says we should in a nation that's falling apart around us. Now, these people, these young men, they would be faced with this challenge. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to set up this image. I want you to look at this real quick. I'll read again. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, I want you to notice what King Nebuchadnezzar does. Remember, I told you earlier in chapter 2, he's done had a vision and a dream, and God had spoke to him that his kingdom would ultimately be destroyed. And it was represented gold, silver, bronze, and as it went down, and how they would become weak. Nebuchadnezzar sets up his own image of solid gold. Now, what is he doing here by setting up this own image? It's in direct opposition of what God's word says. He's saying, you will never conquer my kingdom. I'm going to be successful. What did Satan say? I'm going to exalt my throne above the heavens. I'm going to be like God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. I'll become God and you will bow down to me. See, we have in direct correlation to this, we have a culture who is saying, creating an image that we are to be conformed to and bow down to. It may not look the same as this did here as an actual statue, but do not be deceived. The devil's methods never change. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up this image that's in direct opposition of God's word, and that's what... Satan tries to do throughout history and all of the cultures. He wants to be in opposition of God's word. So if God's word defines manhood, he wants to be in opposition of that. He wants to blur the lines of gender and all of these things. You see how this works together? I want you to notice what he does. He sets this image up and he says, Now I want you to gather together. In verse 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent word and gather all the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges. What he does here is he gets all the government officials. This is his method of how he's going to now get God's people to be subject to him and worship him. If he can't do it through the temptation and the lust and all of the other things that he's already thrown at God's people, what is he going to do? He's going to start slowly taking away their freedoms. What does that sound like today? He says, I'm going to get the government officials and I'm going to create a law now that it's going to be illegal if you worship your God. Now you can do it at home, but just don't do it in public because in public you need to identify with me. That's what he does here. 
He gets all the important people. He creates a law. And now, once where they had Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you'll go back and read in the prior chapters, they had freedom to worship God. Because Nebuchadnezzar couldn't deny the power and the things that God had done through him, so he gives them temporary freedom. But now he starts to take that freedom away, and he's saying, now you're going to listen to me. You're going to do what I say, and I'm going to slowly take away your freedoms. This is why it's important as a democracy that we stand up for our rights. This is why God's people get involved in government. See, did you know that in Romans it says that the governments are established to restrain evil, not to create evil? And if we have wicked people who are in power and in rule, what do you think they're going to do? Would God design government and then tell his people to stay out of it? Absolutely not. This is why godly people need to run for these positions. If we want to see our nation change, that's where it starts. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar, or Satan, if you will, was trying to do. He was trying to slowly take away the freedoms that they had to worship God. It's exactly what's going on today in the United States of America. And it's time for us to take a stand. Amen? If we want to see it change, we're going to have to be a part of that. The second thing that he does, I want you to notice, is in verse 4. It says, Then the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people and nation and language, to bow down to this. Do you know what a herald is? It's basically like modern-day press. This is like the media. Okay, they're, they're proclaiming of what you need to conform to, people. Their voices are louder than ours. They're posting it everywhere. They're crying aloud, it says. Conform to the image and bow down. Which is in total opposition of God's word. So you have no voice anymore. We're going to overpower you. The media, the TV, the celebrities, and all of the things. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar is using here. It's all over the tabloids. When the music sounds... You should bow. And that gets to my third point. The third method that he uses in verse 5. It says that at this time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and all of these other symphonies with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. She you notice what he's using as a method to get people to bow down to him. Music. Did you know that the Bible actually says that the devil was in charge of the music in heaven? He uses music, influence of these people that we call idols, to influence God's people to get them to conform to his image. He uses all of these. That's exactly what was going on then, and that's exactly what's going on now be careful what you allow your children to listen to and be careful what you listen to because music is powerful not only the music but the tv shows the movies the hollywood influence that's exactly what was happening here everyone in power everybody who was famous rich important was there to dedicate and bow down to the image of the devil See, the devil knew 
He could not, Nebuchadnezzar knew, he could not just get people to directly worship him. And most people wouldn't. I'm sure you have your Luciferians and all of that, but most people, most average, ordinary Americans, they're not just going to go out and worship the devil. But they'll go out and worship the money. They'll go out and worship the music, the fame, the prosperity, and all the other things that he set up before them. Ultimately, when they do that, when they bow down, Nebuchadnezzar knew, if I can get them to bow down to this, they are bowing down to me and worshiping him. This is why Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You're either on the one side or you're on the other. There is no middle road. Christians need to be separated from the things of this culture. I want you to look at the fourth thing, and maybe especially for the younger people, this is probably the most influential and hardest challenge that you will face. It is the pressure of the culture. In verse 7, it says, So at this time, when all of the people heard the sound of the music, all of the nations, the people of the language, they all fell down and they worshipped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everyone else was doing it. Can you imagine these young men having to be completely in opposition of what everybody else was doing? I mean, everybody, even... Remember, there's other Jewish people there. I mean, even their Christian friends were doing it. All of the people they see on TV, the people they aspire to be, the sports stars... The Hollywood stars, the singers, the ones that are watching on TV that seem so successful and they've made all the money. They're all doing it. They're all bowing down in worship to this image and they're saying, you need to do it too. Can you imagine if, as a young person what they, the pressure they would have been facing at this time? It's exactly what our young teens are facing today. It's so much harder even now than it was back when some of us were kids. And they're telling them, bow down to the culture. Bow down to the identity that we're telling you you need to be. See, when you bow down, that's who you are identifying with. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. When you're bowing down to these things of the world, you're bowing down to the one who is in charge at the moment over all these things. Don't don't think that he's not. Because... What did the devil do when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days? He says, if you will bow down to me, I will give you everything the world has to offer. Jesus didn't deny that he had that power. He tried to do it to the Son of God. He will try to do it to our children as well. Amen? It's exactly what he was doing. Do you see how history repeats itself and how important these things are? that we need to learn and how we need to grasp and, and, and reason and look through the scriptures, how important it is for these examples so that we don't make the same mistakes that they did. Now, I want you to look at something because I want you to understand this. The, the ultimate goal for Nebuchadnezzar, the ultimate goal, what Satan wants to do today is get God's people to conform to his image. There's only one image that God's people should conform to and that's in Romans 8.29. It says that we should be conformed and bowed down to the image of Christ. Amen. 
Each day we should look, as Christian people, we should look more like Jesus. We should love more like Jesus. We should be compassionate more like Jesus. Every single day we are to be conformed into his image. It actually says we are predestined to be conformed into his image. That's who we're supposed to look like. So if you can imagine that if the devil can get God's people who are supposed to look like Jesus to look and resemble the devil, resemble everything that's in opposition, what can he do? He can, he can distort the image that people think and see about God and who he is. That's what he wants to do. That's why he wants you to come here and look defeated. Because he doesn't want people to see victory in God's people, because then they would know that they have the power over the enemy. Amen? They have the power to defeat it. He wants them to represent him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then, we, Christian people who've been born again, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to read that. As though God were pleading through us. This is how people come to God. He chooses to use me and you. He's pleading to people to be reconciled, to be saved through us, his church. Are people seeing that when they come in? Are people seeing that in our everyday lives? Are our children seeing that played out in our marriages, in our everyday lives? Everybody's quiet now. If we want to be victorious and not be conformed, to the image that this culture and this world and the devil tries to conform us to, then we must look at these examples or these essentials that we must grasp if we want to be victorious. Just like they had to learn and the challenges, we've got to learn through God's word and in the challenges that we'll face if we're going to be victorious. I want you to look in verse 12. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did to the command to bow down to the image. Remember, all the important people, all the celebrities, all of their buddies, it was even becoming a law. And after all, now they would kind of be in a bind here because, you remember, some people threw at them, well, you're supposed to obey the governing authorities, right? They even probably used scripture against them. Just just go along with it because now you have to understand that it's not just you that it's affecting if you stand in opposition. Because now you have position. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had given them position and job and promoted them in his kingdom. And now it's not just going to affect them, it's going to affect their livelihoods. Their jobs are at stake now if they stand for God's word. I've seen that happen just a few years back, amen? Where people's jobs were at stake if they had to take a stand for God's word and what they would not do, would not bow to. Now, this has been several years since when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been brought, brought over to Babylon. So now they may even have families of their own. They're young men. God said it was okay for this time period for them to marry, they may have little children. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. Some historians say that this may be 10 to 20 years since they came. So now they have to provide for their own, right? 
Because if you don't provide for your own, the Bible says you're worse than an infidel. So I'm just going to go along with... Can you imagine the pressure that they were facing? Everybody's telling them. Now they have families. They have things that they're worried about. They have responsibility. Just bow down when you're in public. But not these three men. In verse 12 it says... Actually, in verse 8, it says that they had some Chaldeans who came, some people who came and accused them, not going by what the king told them to do. They're not bowing down to you, king, and you made a law that it'd be against the law for anyone who doesn't do this. And we're bringing them to your attention. There are certain men, verse 12, certain Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men, O king, they have not paid due regard to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. These men did not follow the culture and what everybody else was doing. They were totally set apart. If we're going to be victorious as Christians, we have to be set apart from what the rest of the world is doing. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the truth of God's word. We have to be invested in God's word. Constantly reminding ourselves of who we are because of Him. Amen? They knew that. They knew God's word. They knew God's promises would come true because they had already seen it in their lives years before. Many of us, are the same way. You've seen what God has done for you. You know His promises are true. You have no reason to be conformed to this world. If you find yourself going back into that lifestyle, get into God's Word. This is why you have it. To renew your mind, remind you of who you are and that you're a child of God. You're not that person that everyone else says you are or who they think you are. You're a child of God. Don't let this sin and all of these things hold you captive and hold you down and hold you silent. Amen? I want you to look in the second thing and the second example or essential that they grasp that we need to is in verse 14 and 15. It says, Now Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, so he called them in for questioning. The authority, the king here. Now they're face to face with the enemy. Right? Before, it was just everybody else and the culture they were opposition to. But now the enemy's in their face. You ever been there? Can you imagine the pressure that they were facing? Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them saying, Is it true? I mean, I've heard the rumors that you're different. I've heard the rumors that you're not going along with what the culture's doing. You're not going along with what the rest of the world's doing. That I've heard that it's different. I wanted to see for myself if it's true. And he says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, I want you to notice what he says. He gives them an out. He says, I've heard that you were defiant. I heard that you were different. But I'm going to give you a way out. Just... When you hear the music, we'll rerun it. We'll play it again. We'll do it again. 
When you see everybody else doing it, just bow down and worship me. That's all you got to do, and I'll let you go. You can be free. You can still have your position. Are you sure you want to take this stand and lose your job? That's what he was telling them. Maybe even lose your family. Matter of fact, he says, if you take this stand, I'm throwing you in the fire. You might even lose your life if you take this stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they grasped was they had already counted the cost. If you'll read in the scripture after that, it says, if this is so, we have no need to even answer you. You know our position. You know we're not going to bow to you. You know it's true. We didn't bow before and we ain't bowing now. That's what Christians need to do today. They counted the cost. You know, Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? It's going to cost us something to take a stand for God's word in this world. That's just the way it is. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you you're going to have prosperity and all these things and you're going to take a stand and all of your friends are just going to join you and everybody's going to be cheering for you and rooting for you like you're Rocky, the underdog. They're going to throw you under the table, under the bus. They're going to deny, they deny Jesus, they'll deny you. Paul said at the end of his ministry, all of the churches, all of the people he had counseled, all the people he had loved, had blood, sweat, and tears for, they left him because he stood for Jesus. There was only a few who stood with him. There may be only a few, but a few can change a nation. That's what you'll see here. We need to count the cost and stand for truth, no matter what it may cost us. And then verse 16 and 17, I want you to look at this. What Daniel, or what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood or knew, and we must know or have is a proper knowledge of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This is the reason why. For our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. They knew the power of God. They had biblical knowledge they had it in their head, not only, but in their heart because they had seen it in their lives because they had been transformed by that same power. They knew who God was. First Corinthians says, For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved it is the power of God. They had been transformed. This is the transforming power that brings dead men to life. He said, if he can bring this dead man to life, then what you throw at me isn't going to matter. If we get thrown in the fire, I know God is able to bring me out of it. But I want you to notice what he doesn't stop there, how they don't stop there. In verse 18, he says, But if not, he says, God's able to do whatever he wants to do. He can save me. He can fix my marriage. He can heal you. He can do all of these great things. But if he chooses not to, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve you. We're going to stand for God anyways. See, we can stand for God when he heals us, but what about when he doesn't? What about when you pray and he doesn't heal you or he doesn't do the things that you think he does? These people were rooted and knew that there was something greater than temporary illness, temporary sacrifice, temporary 
things that they would face. Remember, Paul said that all of the things that he would go through were not worthy to even compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. They had an eternal mindset. See, some things are greater than just your temporary suffering. Some things are greater. And if we could see things through God's eyes and understand that His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours, then we could endure that so much greater. That's why it's important for God's Word. You know, I want you to think about that. I ask you a, a personal question. I asked my brother this. I said, you know, we're going to face things in this world that ain't going to make sense. We're going to face as God's people even when we're being obedient to Him and we're going to have things happen to us that just doesn't make any sense. We don't know why God's allowing us to go through it. None of that. But I ask you the question that if you knew and could know that if you suffered on this earth for temporarily for a little while, if you know if you went through that and endured that, that your children would be saved, would you endure it with joy? Would you be able to get through the pain? He said, absolutely. That's what these people knew. There was something greater than just, even if it cost them their life, they knew that all things would come together for good for his purpose and for the ones who love him. Amen? They knew that, look, it may we may suffer here on this earth, but God's going to bring it all back for our good and, and for his purpose and his plan. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things happen to us, that happen to us, God is working for our good and his purpose. Go back and read some of them scriptures. This is a renewing of your mind, amen? In closing, I want to get you this. We all know the rest of the story if you've ever been in church. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't escape it. They took a stand and it cost them. They get thrown into the fire. Now, we know that God delivered them. But the thing about it is that some of us, he may not deliver here on this earth. Hebrews tells us that there's a lot of people, a lot of people who never saw the promises come and be fulfilled on this earth, but they received it in glory. And how much greater did they receive it there if they didn't receive it here? That's what Hebrews tells us. Now, the greatest thing and point we can point out in this story is that when the devil threw the God's people in the fire, they didn't go through it alone. That was the thing. He says, there's a fourth one in there. Didn't we only throw three? But who's this other person? One is like the Son of God. He recognized. Now, I want you to look at this in closing. <clears throat> Read verse 26 through 27. After God delivers them out of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. What he threw at them didn't affect them, didn't kill them. It didn't go to his, what he thought was going to happen. So he calls them out of the fire. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Even the enemy. What did, what did the Bible say? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. The enemy is confessing He is the Most High God. God's Word is true. I want you to notice what he says, though. Nebuchadnezzar says, let me find my play. Okay, servant of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
came from the midst of the fire. Remember, fire is a, is, is a testing and a trial that we'll go through. So they come out of that. They're on the other side, victorious. And the satraps, the administrators, all the people who were trying to get them to bow down were there watching. They were watching them in the fire and in the trial to see what would happen. People, things that we face on this earth, things that we're going through, there's people who are watching to see how we're going to react to it. See if God's real or not. See if we can get them to turn their back on God now. I mean, take away their job, take away their position, take away their family, destroy their marriages, you know, get their kids running away from them, don't want nothing to do with them. Let's see if they still serve God now. Remember what Job said, though the Lord slay me, I will praise him. That's what they're looking for. All of these people are gathered around and astonished that they're able to come out of the fire. And in verse 28, well, actually, verse 27, it says, All of these people, the governors, they all gathered together. And when they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power on, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. You notice that? I'll give you a scripture. First Corinthians 15. Verse 55 through 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We may face and go through the fire in this present time, but God's word says that on the other side we're going to come out, and there will be no smell, no stench, no sting of death anymore all of that stuff's going to be cast into lake of fire and we're going to spend eternity with him that's where our rewards at that's where our hope is on end amen would you stand with me today god we just love you we praise you lord i thank you that you give us hope you give us strength you give us these examples in your word of men and women who stood for you You give this for an example so that we will take a stand as well. Lord, we know that the the culture is trying to get us to bow down. The enemy wants us to bow down and be subject to him, to this image, this persona that, that everyone else is telling us who we need to be like. But we know that we need to be conformed into your image, to be more like you. That's how people can be changed, Lord. God, I pray that we take that stand. We count the cost, that we stand for you that we grasp your word and your truth, Lord. I pray there for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they've come to you today, Lord, that they've given their life to you, that you would save them, that they would realize that they were sinners and that you died upon a cross for them, poured out your blood, and you were raised on the third day, Lord, to give them life, give them victory, Lord, over the enemy. God, I love you. I praise you. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.